right. Welcome to the Catfish and Copy Podcast, everybody. Thanks for checking it out. We got a full house, more people coming in. I really appreciate it. Uh, more people like Fishing Frustrations. I see Ray Smith. I see Eric Burnside. Uh, everybody's got channels out here, too. So uh, if you guys uh, come and watch the show after the fact, if you're listening on podcast, you can also visit their YouTube channels once you subscribe to mine. Cool. So today we have Stu from Total angling experience what's going on Stu? how's it going everybody i've been wanting to have Stu on my show for a while i've been kind of um uh booking guests here and there and um i uh have a habit of going to sleep while listening to some podcasts and one of the podcasts that i really enjoy listening to uh is the mediator podcast uh it's one of my favorites if you're a podcast list podcast listener and you uh um haven't checked it out i highly recommend that you do um there's really some some pretty cool stuff, hunting and fishing. They also, the, the mediator crew also has a fishing podcast called Bent, uh, which is, I believe, uh, Joe Sorelli. Um, if he's out there listening, forgive me if I misspelled your name from hooked fishing. That was an awesome show on YouTube for a long time, but he's running the, the fishing department over there at, uh, uh, mediator and, uh, back to the story. Uh, I'm laying in bed listening to the podcast and I hear them mention Stu's channel and Stu's name on there. And I'm like, man, I better get Stu on the show before he gets too big for me. Uh, oh, Gabby Goose in the house. What's going on, Gabby? How are you, dear? Um, so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm honored and privileged, and I think I'm pretty lucky to get a hold of him now. Um, thanks for doing the show, Stu. Hey, thanks for having me. So, Stu, I usually like to ask my guests, kind of get going and uh, get our conversation started about how they totally, how they got into to fishing or, or in your case, the whole fishing and, and hunting way of life that you, that you honestly lead. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I've been fishing since I was, I mean, little, little bitty. Um, I, I never really had a, a grandpa growing up, you know, uh, both my grandparents, they, they died before I was born. So I had a great uncle, uh, that kind of, he took the role of grandpa and, uh, he had a real close friend and, you know, they were kind of my role models growing up. Um, you know, we'd fish the local lakes. I remember sitting in the middle of a, a 14 foot John boat and, uh, my, my uncle Daryl is what I called him. And, uh, you know, we had cane poles, literally cane poles that we went and cut down the ditch and screwed in the, the eyes. And, uh, I've still got the original one, but that's what we fished with. And, you know, there was no other way to catch a fish unless you had a cane pole with 20-pound mono, a 2 ot gold hook, and a, an actual cork cork for a, for a bobber, and you had to fish with a minnow. And uh, that's how I started, real, real young. So um, my, my Uncle Daryl, he had a real good friend uh, named Steve, and, and he really took me under his wing. And, you know, I, I do a lot of – or I did – do and did a lot of rod building, jig tying, um, lure making and stuff. He was the one that kind of got me involved. And to this day, I'm the one, I blame him for my addiction to fishing because that man has cost me more money than any other person uh, probably ever will. So, Would you have it any other way, though? No, I wouldn't. I, I <laughs> had a great, great experience growing up. And uh, it, you it, know, it, I, I really like to start my shows off like this because just listening to people talk like you did brings a smile to my face because it brings back my memories and I'm sure it does to all the people in chat. So uh, uh, I think we all have similar upbringings and, and just when you mentioned using an actual cork, 
kind of brought so many memories to me. So thanks for sharing that with us. I really appreciate it. So, uh, so when did it, when did it evolve into a, a diehard addiction? When did it grow into something past just using a cork and a cane pole and a 20 pound mono? Uh, well, I mean, I, you know, I got my first boat whenever I think I was, I don't know, 10 or 12 years old, 14, something like that. I got a 12 foot shallow draft John boat. And, uh, you know, this is, this was the boat that, that I would haul in the back of the pickup truck before I had my license, you know, and, and take it to these local lakes and creeks and stuff and didn't have a motor. I mean, a lot of people probably don't know what sculling is, but, uh, you know, I sculled that boat for, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of miles in that little 12 foot shallow draft boat. You had to put a cinder block in the back end to keep the back end down so you could actually go places. And it had more holes in it than Swiss cheese. I mean, I, I spent a fortune in silicone trying to keep that thing from sinking. But, uh, man, I mean, I knew I knew our little local lakes and waters like the back of my hand. And, uh, you know, finally I saved up and, and I bought a little uh, a little three-horse Evinrude boxed-in canoe motor. And, I mean, this, this was the motor. It actually had its own suitcase. It had a fiberglass suitcase. And the lower unit actually folded up uh, inside of itself for easy transport. And that was my first motor that I put on that boat. Um, I had shear pins on it. I mean, you hit a lily pad in shear pin and you'd have to take the motor off, put it in the, in the boat. I'd have clothes hangers there for shear pins, um, no reverse, you know, internal gas tank. If you wanted to go backwards, you just spun the motor backwards. Right. So that started, that started it all. Um, you know, I learned a lot from that and then just things progressed over the years to, to where I sit now. So, and, and we'll definitely get there, but, uh, you know, after hearing you talk about, you know, the, the early beginnings and stuff that, that made you a better angler though, didn't it? Oh, for sure. For sure. Having to figure it out the hard way first, correct? Yeah. I mean, a lot of people look, look now, you know, you roll up to the boat ramp and I mean, of course, you know, everybody knows I got this big 25 foot boat or whatever. They're like, Oh, you know, you got all this. And I was nah, you know, I mean, I'll tell you, I, I started with a cane pole and 12 foot John boat, just like everybody else, you know? So, I mean, it's, it wasn't just, I got handed that, you know, by anybody. You, you, you earned the big fish and the, the limits yeah. and, and, and the freezers full of meat and stuff. You, you earn that over time, right? On a bunch of fish back then, too. You know, <laughs> back, it's like, well, that was a lot easier. <laughs> I got no. going. We still caught fish. So. Now, now you're busy packing all that extra gear and learning the technology in order to get out there and do what you were able to do by just sheer effort back in the day, though, right? Yeah. yeah. I, I, I have that internal struggle all the time on whether or not it's worth it and ask myself, you know. But it always goes back to, yeah, it's worth it because I like all that stuff. So, <laughs> all right, we got a couple more people. I want to make sure I say hello to D. I don't want to miss D. Hello, D. I want to say hello to Katie. I see LG Bass and Uncle Lou came in. Hey, guys, thanks for, for checking it out. And I think that's about all of them. Um, so you had mentioned like the boat you have now. I know probably a lot of people have talked to you, but it, 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 it it's a pretty amazing feat, you building that boat from the ground up. And I've watched, I'm not even going to lie, I've watched that series and that ending video, uh, the one where you kind of put it all together a couple of times. So I'm like, man, I can imagine you slept well after moving all that aluminum around every night, right? Yeah. Yeah. That was a lot of work, and it was a a large undertaking. And how much help did you have? Because in the video, I don't recall seeing too much help. I, I, I 
can honestly say I built that entire boat by myself. My my dad helped me um, for one or two days whenever we we kind of got going just to move the sheets around, and we were just kind of trying to figure it out. And for the most part, other than that, I mean, I I flipped that boat by myself twice. Uh, it was all all me basically uh, every evening, uh, you know, after work in the shop and on the weekends. So yeah, I can pretty much say I I built that boat by myself. And if you guys def- definitely, definitely, if you're not subbed to Stu's channel, go in there and check it out for that those that, those videos alone. If you you know like to tinker it a littlest bit, man, it, it'll blow you away because it's it's a pretty cool boat, um, twenty five foot. And, you, and how much do you say that weighs? Uh, rolling down the road, uh, you're right about four thousand pounds. And you had to move off four thousand pounds and weld off four thousand pounds. Yeah, it's got. I I think I ended up buying about. 22 2300 pounds of aluminum mm-hmm. i've got I, i've kept track of this actually i kept track i've got 102 pounds of weld wire um in the trailer in the boat combined because i built the trailer too and that's one pound spools at a time because i ran it out of a spool gun um all said done i kept track like i said this was a big undertaking for me it was the first time i ever built a boat and um so i i actually kept track of all the shavings you know, because there's a lot of cutting involved in everything. Yeah. And uh, I, I ended up with just shy of a five-gallon bucket. It weighed 17 pounds of just the, the grinding dust and the shavings from, from cutting all that stuff. So, I mean, it, yeah, it was it was pretty 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 big build, I guess you could say. Did you take a bunch of stuff back to the recycling center to get some money off of that? Or, or you did know, you hold on to it for, for future use? That was the funny thing. I, I built that boat, and I... Where I live, there was there's no aluminum stock. Uh, you know, I mean, uh-huh. I I ordered that boat in two orders. Um, I got kind of lucky, and really I could have got it done in one. But whenever whenever I ordered the material, see, I was only going to build like a 21 or 22 foot boat. Uh, uh-huh. That was my plan anyway. You know, put like a 115, maybe a 150 if I could find one. Uh, stick on the back of it. I had it in my mind. I drew it up on a napkin. I mean, I just I really did kind of half ass it, but I knew what I wanted in my head. And I drew up a parts list and I ordered it and I get the call at all the materials in. And the guy said, you know, they actually take those big sheets of aluminum. They take them off a big roll. Mm-hmm. Uh, they unreal. Well, I had ordered 22 foot material thinking I was going to lose a foot. You know, I didn't know what I was doing. And uh, whenever I ordered it, he said, they'll only take off 25 feet at a time. And so that's what I got was I got four sheets that were 25 foot long. And uh, you know, these pretty expensive sheets to begin with. And I got so they would unroll it on the truck, cut it, and leave it there. Is that why that happened? Uh, they unroll it out of a big reel and they shear it. Okay, so so I got the material order, and I like I said, I figured all this for 22 foot boat. And uh, I got the material home. I'm like, I'm not cutting three foot off of a good sheet of you know, boat basically. So I build a 25 foot boat. So from day one, I added three to four feet to this boat and uh, I made one more order of aluminum and I'm not kidding you whenever I got done with that build you could not fit the stuff that I had left over in in a small trash can I mean I I got it that close and uh, you know I I got my money's worth out of my material do you do any engineering for work is that is that how you're able to do that or no I'm a carpenter by trade okay uh yeah, I just I did measure twice, cut once, right? 
I'm pretty frugal whenever it comes to it. And I didn't want to want a bunch of waste. You know, I did spend, I spent a lot of time kind of thinking about, you know, how I wanted it laid out. I, I think that was, the, you know, everybody asked, would I change anything? That's, that's one of the main questions whenever people but say, we'll, we'll, we'll get there. I do want to ask, um, what made you want to build, what, what did other boats that you were looking at? Cause you were looking at other boats to buy before you came up with the idea to make your own, I imagine. Right. So I've owned a lot of boats, actually. I mean, okay. I'm fortunate enough, you know, I, I've owned several boats. I've owned flat bottoms. I've owned modifieds. I've owned deep V's. I've owned, um, you know, and I mean, I've run everything from, from deep V's with kickers on them. I've run tillers. I've run, you know, consoles. Because I always get that question, too, why you make it a tiller. Um, so I knew what I wanted. And what I wanted wasn't really out there. You know, I, I wanted something... I primarily crappie and catfish. And at the time, this was before live scope or forward imaging sonar, we spider rigged. I mean, that's, mm -hmm. that's how you caught your fish. So I built that boat with the idea of the front end was a crappie fishing boat, spider rigging, and the back end was built for catfishing. And, uh, you know, obviously I wanted a big enough boat to handle anything. And so that's where it all came from was, was with that. Creole Catfish wants to ask, um, have him tell the story of the challenges concerning the motor. <laughs> yeah. So, so I found this motor. Like I said, I, I, I had originally planned on putting like a 115 or a 150 on it. And I knew I wanted a tiller. Um, now, I've ran Suzuki's. I've, I've ran Evinrude's. I've ran Mercury's. I've ran Suzuki's. Uh, I've ran Yamaha's. I've ran all the major brands. And... Uh, I was really, I've been really impressed with Suzuki motors. That's what I had on my, my big deep V and I was looking for Suzuki. Now, if anybody's run a big tiller, anything over say like a 50 or 60 horse, you know that there is an incredible amount of torque steer involved with that. And, uh, you know, whenever I got to build this big boat, I'm like, man, I'm gonna have to have a big motor for this thing. And I started looking around and I, I figured out I needed like a 175 or a 200. I ended up putting a 200 Verado on it. And, uh, I found this 200 horse Verado down in Florida. I'm in central Illinois. And, uh, you know, I, I, down in Florida, motors are cheaper, right? Than in the middle of the country. And it was a good deal. It was a year old. Uh, so, I mean, it wasn't brand new, but it was brand new, right? It was like new old stock. And I got a pretty good deal on it. Now with Mercury, Mercury has a system where it's an electric over hydraulic steering system on their big motors. Um, you can actually, you can drive my boat with a pinky and you can mm -hmm. let go of the tiller at 50 mile an hour and there's no torque steer. Suzuki, uh, I called them there. They told me, uh, they said, get a counter rotating lower unit. So where it actually throws the tiller into you and you don't mm -hmm. get as much torque steer. I, I didn't want that, you know. I mean, you're talking a 25-foot boat with a 200-horse motor on it. You want to be safe, right? So I went with the Mercury motor. I bought it. Now, the problem is Mercury will not ship you a 200-horse motor. They don't want you to install it. I mean, oh. I guess kind of rightfully so. But I knew I could do it, right? So this, this was a whole ordeal. And uh, it took about a month to find a marina up here close. I found a marina about two hours away that would actually take delivery of this motor. And uh, well, at the time I had the boat, I had the hull done and I had the trailer done, but I didn't have the boat finished because I wanted to have the motor mounted with the tiller on it to figure out how to do the layout, you know, on the back end. I mean, the seat, mm -hmm. live well and everything else. And so I took the 
they wanted to mount it. And I was like, fine, whatever. So I drug the boat, half-finished boat, two hours over to these guys, drop it off. Mind you, I mean, it's an unfinished boat, so I didn't have any haul number on it. It sat there for like a month and a half. And uh, finally, I get this call. And they said, we can't mount this motor because it doesn't have a haul number on it. And I said, well, no, it doesn't. It's not finished, right? And so we went back and forth for like a month. Finally, I just basically wore them down enough to where they wrote up a contract that basically released them of all liability. Mm -hmm. And uh, drove over two hours, picked up my boat. We sat the motor. The motor was brand new and still in a crate. Took tailgate off my truck, set it in the bed of my truck, drove home two hours, drove to my work. I used the forklift at work and we mounted that motor in 20 minutes. All that just for a 20 minute job, right? Like two months worth of dealing. So then, then I have to put this tiller handle on it, right? This is a whole system. You know, it's electric over hydraulic pump. There's a whole separate pump. It's all electrically driven. Um, And I mounted all that pump and I got everything mounted. I had to make a special bracket to actually mate the low or the power head to the tiller handle because Mercury doesn't want you to do that. Mm -hmm. And so I needed to have it all, all this calibrated, all this electric uh, calibrated. Right. And I had, I I, I couldn't do that myself. I had to get another Marina to do that. So I found a Marina that said they would. I took it to them. This was like January. They said they'd have it in a week. Month later, they still hadn't done it because they had to order some special part or connectors or something. Finally, after like a month and a half of them having it, they called me and said it's it's ready to go. And this is like the middle of February, right? And I'm excited because I've been working on this boat for like nine months. I finally got a motor on. I want to take it up. Well, all the lakes were frozen up. The river was the only thing open. So I'm like, hell with it. I'm going to the river. And uh, so I dragged this thing over to the river. I started up. And like I said, that's all hydraulically run. Uh, Marina that had it, I start this motor up and I pull the motor towards me and the motor goes the other way. They had hooked it up completely wrong. Backwards. Oh. I tested it. So that was that was my two dealings. I involved two people, two different marinas in this build, both of them. So it was an easy fix. I switched Moses around and stuff. And yeah, I kind of fear. I was going to say, did you drive it backwards or did you just switch the the polarities around? Tools at the time, you know. So I had to go back home and then come back the next day. But yeah, I mean, it was. Uh, Man, I'd have been so excited. I'd have drove it backwards. I'd have figured it out on the water. I'd have been like, okay, this goes this way and that way. And it's it's always like that when you do it yourself. But are you happy you went through all of that with the boat? Oh, for sure. I got exactly what I wanted. There's, there's nothing else out there like that boat. And, um, you know, it's, it's a forever boat. So yeah. And and for the people that don't know what, what kind of reasons would somebody have for, for a tiller over, you know, a a council or. So I, I get that question all the time, you know, um, and around me, you know, tillers are, tillers are pretty, you know, they're pretty prevalent. You know, there's a lot of 50, 60 horse tillers around a lot of duck guys and stuff. Now you go down to like Texas, Arkansas down there. I mean, every one of them guys are on center console boats. There's not a tiller to be seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in other parts of the country, it's all side consoles. You go up north, you're kind and of there's tillers like up in, Min- in Minnesota, northern Wisconsin. It's all tillers. All the guys use tillers. Yeah. And it just makes for more room, right? That's the biggest advantage, correct? I mean, even in a 25 foot boat, you stick a console in that thing, you're taking up a lot of real estate, right? And, uh, you know, not only that, but so, like I said, I set this boat up with the back end primarily for catfishing. Um, 
you know, whenever I'm catfishing, I don't leave that the back end of that boat. Now, you know, a couple of things here. I can put both my depth finders in the very back end of the boat. You know, a lot of guys will run an additional depth finder in the back end. I don't have to deal with that. Uh, I've got full action. And you're, you're sitting right over those those transducers, right? Which is another advantage. You've got your screens right there. Uh, you've got full access to the back end of the boat. You know, traditionally all these catfish boats, they've got giant live wells in the back that you got to step up onto, you know, so you essentially, and then you got to have raised rod holders, you know, where you're bending down to get your rods. I can walk up within a foot of the back end of my boat, uh, you know, and my rod holders can be gunnel high, you know, cause I don't have to deal with all the live wells cause I pushed all that stuff forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, trolling, you know, you're right there at that tiller. You know, a lot of times we fish the Mississippi, right? And the Mississippi is real heavy current. Um, and a lot of times a trolling motor won't even, uh, you know, won't even slow you down enough. So we actually trim up our big motors and we throw them into gear to, to break that speed down. And it you just lose, uh, you know, you gain so much agility and mobility, basically, by having that tiller right there. Right in the back, yeah. You know, and, and just the openness of it. You know, I... I got a dance floor, you know, to sit on because I don't have to be working around a console and, and everything else. So, I mean, there's advantages and disadvantages to everything, of course. And like I said, I, I was fortunate enough to, to own console boats and tiller boats beforehand, knowing what I wanted, I guess you mm-hmm. said. Hey, everyone. Sorry about the interruption, but I need a few seconds of your time. As individual content creators, we can use all the support we can get. Your support is used for better equipment, a further reach, and everything else needed to create this podcast. Your support makes for a better audio experience, helps to grow the show, and get more guests. If you like the podcast, become a supporter today by using the link in the description. Thanks for your time and support. Now back to the show. The only thing that would probably keep me from a tiller is I, I want to be able to fish in cold weather. I'm, I'm a wimp when it comes. I worked outside for a long time. I had enough of the cold. I'd want something that I could probably enclose a little better than a tiller, but that would be the only reason I wouldn't get one. I, I think you made a good decision for yourself. So very cool. That's a cool story, and you should be proud of that boat. That thing is a couple of people have said it was badass in the chat, and I have to agree with them. So uh, uh, way to go on building that boat. A lot of people are envious of it, and so bad. So uh, what kind of electronics are you running in that boat? You had mentioned some of that. Yeah, so uh, I... I ran all the big three uh, in the past. I ran Lawrence, Hummingbird, and Garmin, and uh, I I ran Lawrence for a while. Uh, and then whenever Hummingbird came out with Mega, like I said, I'm going back towards like a crappie fishing side mm-hmm. of it. Now, whenever whenever Hummingbird came out with Mega side imaging, that was by far the best side imaging, the most detailed around. And so I I run two 12 inch helixes um, on on my boat now, uh, and I did that for for the side imaging. Um, and then of course a year after I built that boat and bought all those electronics and live scope came out, Garmin did. So then I had to get Garmin too. So now I run, uh, now I run a, a 1222, uh, GPS map, which is a dedicated live scope, uh, monitor up front. And then I've got a 1022, uh, in the, in the back as well that I use for mapping. And, uh, I can also hook up an additional, uh, live scope transducer for, for fishing in the back of the boat, basically. Uh, you know, you know, one thing's funny, like with Hummerbird and Garmin, you know, mapping is huge. A lot of people, I, I think, really underestimate the, the I agree. power of a mapping chip. Um, 
And, you know, with Garmin and Humminbird and Lawrence, they're all a little different. And it's amazing. You know, I fish a lot of different lakes. And, you know, it's it's nice to have both, if, if that makes sense, uh, you know, the mapping capabilities. So, so how, how big a difference do you see between the, the different maps? Huge. And, it, and it's like the lake. Um, you know, uh, uh, you go up north, uh, a lot of the Garmin stuff is, is a little off, you know, maybe 50, 60 foot off, where the Humminbird stuff could be right on. Um, I fished a few different lakes in down in Texas where the Humminbird stuff, was off, but the Garmin was on. Um, I fished Watts Bar just a few weeks ago down in Tennessee. And, uh, you know, one cool thing with the Garmin units is that whenever I bought them, I bought them with the mapping um, kind of internally that came with it, right? Right. The didn't have it. You have to kind of buy lake-specific maps or buy a real expensive chip. Um, whereas, you know, I'd never been on this body of water before, and I just used the Garmin's that had the built-in maps and I was ready to go and it was right on. So, you know, it, it, it's pretty neat to be able to kind of switch back and forth and compare. So. Yeah. I, I know that, uh, Captain Greg, he was actually in Lyle show prior to this. He works for, uh, uh, Navionics and he's up in Wisconsin and he's like responsible for a lot of the mapping that gets unloaded. And I'll tell you one thing, uh, the lakes that he's been on are right on the money yeah. down here in Illinois, not so much. So, uh, uh, I get what you're saying, but it's, it is better than nothing. And I'll actually compare that to my actual Navionics app, but uh, we'll see what happens. I'm in the process of considering new electronics and stuff. So I like to hear the, uh, <clears throat> the opinions of the people I have on the show. Um, speaking of live scope, I saw your last video last night. I don't know how much we want to talk about it or if we need to just have people come and check it out, but it had to do with one of the pictures of that. Well, actually the picture of a spoonbill on the thumbnail that I put together for you. That was a cool video. If you guys want to see somebody using live scope to catch spoonbill and you know what, you made it look easy until you said how long you were chasing the fish around for. So that was a long day of work, wasn't it? I was wore out after that weekend. I'm telling you, it was, it was a lot harder. Um, it was a lot harder than I thought it would be. And I think it's because of the situation I put myself in. Um, I'd never seen that body of water. I'd never done that before. We'd had a big rain the day before and there was a lot of current. I think the current and the boat traffic is, is really what, what hurt me, uh, on that. Like I said, I was doing something completely different. So every boat was driving right by me. And, uh, you know, it made it difficult, but it was fun. I, I, I went down and I, I, I caught some big fish and, uh, I'm going to go back in the fall, uh, whenever those fish are out in a lake situation where there's less current, I think it'll be a lot easier. I really do. Now, would, have you fished for spoonbill the other way? Uh, what is that? They troll for them, right? With dipsy divers and stuff. Yeah. yeah. And you've done that in the past. I, I've done that a couple of times. Uh, I've also done it from the bank, you know, where you just, throw out a big weighted hook, you know, and just, just go to ripping basically, you know? So, but I, I wanted to go out and my, my whole goal was to target the, the big fish, you know, and that, that was something you, you can do with this technique. So mm-hmm. it, it paid off, I think. Uh, but it, it was, it, it was a lot of work. I'm not going to lie. It was a lot so it's cleaning all that too. I don't know how hard they are to clean. I know that the, well, you, you had also mentioned in the video that you cannot bring them with the eggs on them. And I mean, I'm not an expert on this by any means. Uh, you know, I just read a lot of stuff, but you know, I guess the spoonbill, the eggs are there. There's kind of a black market for them. They're, they're what have the real high end 
caviar, basically. You know? Really? I didn't realize that. It's That's where the value in the fish is, right? So, like, where I was there on, like, the Ozarks, uh, they had, like, a 30-yard dumpster pulled right up right next to the boat ramp. And, you know, you, you cleaned your fish right there. You threw the eggs and the re- disposed of the carcass uh, right in that dumpster. So, you know, they didn't want you to be leaving with that those eggs, you know, so. They don't want to incentivize people just killing a spoonbill for, for nothing. So, yeah. but you can, and you did mention you can't put them back, correct? Yeah. Uh, Missouri's got, they've got funny regulations like that. You have to immediately release the fish that are under. They've got a size limit on them. I think it's 34 inches from eye to the fork of the tail. Um, that, that unders are released. And then once you catch your overfish, you, you have to keep it. You can't release it. And then, uh, you know, say if you've got three or four people in your boat, once you, you've caught your two fish for the day, then you're done. You can't, you can't fish anymore. The boat is done, not just the angler, right? No, the, the angler's done. You can the angler's done. Okay. With the boat, but yeah, it's, they, I mean, they, they, they stock them from what I understand. I mean, they want you to keep the fish, you know I mean? It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a big deal down there. So, but a little different than Oklahoma. You can use barbs uh, in Missouri. So. So you can, all right. Well, I guess that, yeah, that makes sense. All right, cool. So, if you guys want to see cool, a cool spoonbill fishing video, check it out on uh, uh, Stu's channel. Links in the description, obviously. Um, we got a lot of catfish people in here, so we need to talk about catfish too. I'm, I'm pretty sure the catfish has a place in your heart, doesn't it? Oh, for sure, for sure. What's your favorite? I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask so everybody else knows. What's your favorite way to catch catfish? My favorite way has to be back bouncing or bumping. Uh, I mean, it, and and for no other reason than I think it kind of is like crappie fishing where you get to feel that thump, you know, thump. You, you've got their hand on your rod. You get to feel that fish. Uh, that's probably my favorite way uh, to, to do it. So, and the most productive way, uh, pulling dragon baits behind dragon my, baits. Yeah. That one video where you're dragging between you and the shore and that, uh, uh, I'm definitely going to try that. I'm going to actually, well, was that on a river or a lake? I don't that's- recall. A lake, yeah. That was on a lake. I'm going to try that on our river here, see if I can get into some channel cats that way. So uh, hopefully pretty soon. But that was a good video. That was very well thought out, and it was it was kind of cool to watch. So, uh, uh, so what kind of catfish are you catching mostly where you're at? Well, I where I live, I'm two hours away from a blue cat. Um, so I mean that's kind of a special fish anyway for me. I'm also two hours away from the Mississippi, where I can where I actually can do the back bouncing technique you know where i have current um mm-hmm. but no I, I mainly fish for channel um channel where i'm at here we do a little bit of flathead fishing too but primarily channel cat uh you know is kind of local local waters yeah channel cat one pretty underrated in my book but then again up here in northern illinois we got channel cats we have flatheads we don't have blues i've actually never caught a blue i'm hoping to get on one here in the next month or so so I'm kind of looking forward to getting my first one, but uh, it's been something I've been kind of putting off for a while. Flatheads, I love flatheads. I mean, people mention that, my eyes light up. I get all excited. And I get that flathead fever, but I, I get that way about crappie too. Like when we were talking before the show, I hear people getting limits, or I saw that stringer of crappie on on one of your last videos of a. Uh, oh man, those things were tanks. What were they all around? Twelve to fourteen inches. Yeah, they were all 13, 14s. So. 13s, 14s. That's incredible, man. I catch an eight, I catch a 10 inch and I'm happy. But imagine <laughs> getting a six pack of 13 inch, 14 inch crappie. I'd be really excited. That would make my week. <clears throat> so, how's the spawn going down by you? The crappie spawn. Are we're, they in full effect or are they done yet? Uh, we're, we're in, I'd say we're on the 
tail end, uh, not tail end, but we're, we're over halfway. Yeah. Uh, you know, the funny thing about our lakes around here is everybody thinks crappie spawn, you know, real quick. And, you know, there, there's waves of crappie coming in for the next month. You know, it's all, it's all how you want to fish for them. Um, you know, I, some people want to go shallow and stay shallow the whole time. My, I like to stay, you know, kind of in that transition. Uh, those fish are a lot less affected by weather conditions. Um, you know, cause I mean, in the springtime, obviously you're getting cold front after cold front, but then again, it's windy all the time in the spring. So, I mean, sometimes you've got to stay close to shore. Uh, but for the most part, those bigger females, in my opinion, they don't stay up real shallow like everybody thinks. They'll go up and do their business, and they'll go right back out where that big where the food is. I mean, those big females, they got to eat. Uh, so to target the bigger fish, I'm, I'm usually staying a little bit offshore for the most part. Just to answer Epic's little statement, there, you can use crappie for bait. <laughs> I don't see PR crappie, not many of them. So if it's going for bait for flathead, I think we are a blue. I'm I'm pretty happy either way. So I don't care if people are using bass for bait. I'm not one of those guys. So, uh, so how do you? What are you looking for as far as the spawn goes? For for let's start. We'll start with crappies. Where when do you know they're in full effect, or is it just by where you're finding them? Well, I follow the crappie. I, I, you know, I, I fish, I fish all year. Um, you know, we freeze up here for a couple, three weeks a year usually. Uh, and I'm fishing every single day. I mean, I'm breaking ice and I'm, I'm fishing every single weekend that I can. So I will follow those fish around here. It's usually sometime in February is where they'll come out of their winter holes. And, you know, we're fishing all lake and reservoir fish here. And mm. for the most part, you know, it's not like a river system. I was down on Watts Bar a couple weeks ago. There's fish everywhere in that lake. For the most part, in our reservoirs, the fish will, they will push to the north end or the shallow end of the lake. So if you're fishing them in the winter, you're going to know as those fish start progressing, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to the to the far end of the lake or the warmer water. And I basically follow them from one end to the other every year. And, I mean, once you do it a couple of times, you – you can pretty much mark your calendar, um, you know, by by how those fish patterns are, and and that's kind of how I follow them anyway. Yeah, they, they those ice out crappie are always that, that's like my favorite time of the year when the when the ice on the north end start. Well, we got the north end of the places I fish are the shallow parts, they're big shallow flats, and when that ice is gone, man, game on. I'm there every day until they're there. So uh, I know exactly what you're talking about. And then they'll leave again, and then they come back again for spawn and so on. So yeah, I've been following them around too. So. Uh, what are you looking for for catfish? When's your uh, favorite time of the year to fish for them? Are, are you following them around in the same way? What's up with that? I, I am to a degree. I got to be honest. I like catching them crappie. About, I like catching them crappie. So I put a little bit more effort into those crappie than I do the catfish. Um, mm-hmm. I'll get going with the catfish probably here within the next week or two. Uh, once that water starts really warming up, it's about time of year I start really bow fishing hard. Once, that, once those buffalo and carp start going shallow, that's a that's telling me that those catfish are they're starting to come up shallow. The shad are starting to spawn. Those catfish are going to start following the uh, the shad up shallow, and they're kind of pre-staging for their spawn too. And uh, you know, like I said, middle end of May, June and July is whenever I really get to going with the catfish, um, and then I, I'll chase them clear into October. Uh, they'll be very patternable. 
um, you know, clear up to the water starts cooling off. Uh, you know, as the as the shad population explodes, you start going over the river. Uh, the hotter it is, the better the fishing is, you know, on the rivers too. So that's kind of my I target them. I I, I really want to catch them crappie before the spawn. That's whenever they're the biggest, you know. So I really put a lot more. And in. cold water don't hurt either, does it? No, no. So, but no, we're really we're gonna get right going with the catfish here. Um, you know, just. Just in a couple of weeks. I mean, that being said, you know, February could be some of the best catfishing around. If you can find those holes, you catch a good day. I mean, it's it's hard to keep a, a bait in the water. But like I said, I, them crappies, they're just too fun to catch. Too, so. Yeah, they're fun and they taste really darn good. Uh, only thing that's kind of comparable to, to, to crappie is perch, and we won't get into that. Does you, you ever? Well, maybe we will. You ever do any perch fishing? We don't have perch. Yeah, uh, it's prevalent down south south but whenever well before the world shut down we go to uh canada lake of the woods every year mm-hmm. and they've got an incredible perch population up there they you do. know big big perch so normally i spend at least a day uh you know on our trip catching the big perch up there so minnesota ain't so bad either so you might want to stay this side of the border if you can't go next year but because canada's pretty hardcore closed i don't see it changing anytime soon so uh <laughs> No, our our buddy Brian Brosdale up there, he'll take care of you if you're looking for a guy too. And he's got he's got suburbans on tracks. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> I keep telling, I keep this is an old joke. I keep telling Lyle we're going to get him in there and we're going to get him out on the ice. He just says no. <laughs> so back to, to what's your favorite way of cooking crappie and catfish? Uh I mean, you just can't beat fried dandies. I mean, you really can't. You can do it a whole bunch of different ways, but, you know. And to be quite honest, you know, I would rather have catfish than than crappie any day. Really? Oh, yeah, 100%. Crappie just has no flavor. You know, if I'm going to eat a fish, I want to know that sucker was swimming. So I'd rather take a good good catfish out of some big, big deep water uh, that was cleaned up right. And, uh, you know, a little juicier, got a little bit more flavor in my opinion. But I use Andy's Red, uh, you know, as my primary batter, and uh, it's that's hard to beat. I mean, you, you can go the extra mile and use peanut oil, or do you just use vegetable oil? Well, I'm not. I'm not going to buy peanut. Yeah, oil. I'm not that picky either. <laughs> I, I'm not. I'm not that kind of person. This <laughs> stuff ain't cheap either. Vegetable oil, at least a little cheaper. I go to I go to the Spanish supermarkets here, man. I get it for half the price I get it at Walmart through them guys. So I'm a happy man with vegetable oil. So. Mm. you know i like i I know exactly what you mean about crappie being you know it's not i consider crappie like a a blank canvas so it tastes like whatever you put on it and it has that fish texture so but i still like them i adore them catfish has that little metal twang that that little metal kind of taste almost i don't want to say you know how liver has that metally taste to it i think catfish are a little bit the same way maybe i don't take enough of the the fat or the bloodline up, but we, we can talk about that too. Uh, yeah. Let's talk about cleaning fish. I know that uh, you're kind of the same school I am about cleaning. Well, I'll let you explain your, your philosophy on, on what's waste and what isn't when cleaning fish. Yeah. I mean, I, I've showed it a ton in videos and I mean, you know, I get a lot of people say I'm wasting meat, but you know, especially with catfish, even on some of your bigger crappie, I mean, honestly, you start, um, getting into that white bass especially you know white bass are a great fish to eat if you get that red meat off of them uh if there's red meat on a fish it's coming off before i'm eating it and uh 
you know, same way with the yellow. The yellow, you know, I think, and it comes and goes. I fished a lot of different lakes, and I, I think, uh, you know, a lot of it is, uh, you know, kind of lake specific. But you pull that yellow meat off that fish, you pull that red meat off, and you know, that's that's the only way to do it, in my opinion. Uh, same way with catfish, you know, I, days are gone of the whole skinning them with pliers, all that crap. I I've showed a ton on my videos. You fillet them suckers, knock them sides off, keep that knife high run over that red meat, pull that yellow meat off of them. And you've got a, just an awesome piece of meat, you know, same way with white bass. Uh, you know, I think white bass, they get a bad rap, uh, cause people don't get them cold quick enough. You know, white bass, they'll, they'll die real quick. Even in a live well, you throw them on ice. Like I said, lift that knife up, pull that red meat off of them. And you got a solid white piece of meat, you know? Yeah. That's a big kind of tip that I kind of learned on my own. Get them, get them cold. Even if you got to ice them overnight and you, you'll be, you'll be better off in the morning. So yeah. makes it easier, right? Well, it sucks all that blood out of that uh, center of their body. You know? And another thing I picked up from like the salmon guys up here is I'll bleed them before I bring them home. Yeah. That makes a good difference too. So while they're still able to pump that. So let's talk a little bit about your fishing ch- or your, uh, your hunting channel, Coon Creek Outdoors. How long have you had that channel? It's been a while, right? Yeah, so so that's my main channel. Uh, you know, I don't know whether or not I don't want to offend anybody, whether or not your audience agrees with it or not. Um, that's my primary channel, and mm-hmm. it is uh, primarily based around trapping and fur handling. That that's where I got my start. I do I call it an outdoor channel because I do everything on it. Mm-hmm. That's the primary content. That's kind of what what made my name, so to speak, was the the trapping and fur handling. So. Mm-hmm. I've been doing that since 2012, nine years. I've been doing that channel posting consistently. So it's, it's been a good minute, been a good run so far with that. So what was like, what was it like posting a YouTube when you first got, when you first started, it probably wasn't like it is now, right? I still think I'm awkward as hell in front of the camera. Yeah. I mean, that, that hasn't changed. Talking to a camera is still hard, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I started out, you know, like I said, this was, well, nine years ago. I mean, that was there was a there's been a lot that's changed in YouTube in nine years. Um, but yeah, I, I started out posting videos, mainly educational videos. Um, didn't know what I was doing video wise, but I knew what I was doing content wise. And uh, you know, I guess the rest is history, so to speak. You start putting up putting up enough videos with enough good quality content and. You know, people find you so every now and then you get a hit and that kind of helps you so i'm still looking for that hope very cool and mega kudos to you for not giving up that's a long time to be putting content out there you must really enjoy it though right or else you wouldn't do it i i've watched a lot of people come and go over the years you know um and because it, it is work i mean you know to not go off topic but i mean for somebody who's who just watches videos and doesn't understand the the amount of time and effort that goes in to the whole production aspect, so to speak. Um, it's hard. It, sometimes it sucks. I mean, it you know, it, you you lose a lot of time, especially with like the fishing and stuff. Uh, you know, I myself on my main channel, I've kind of got into a rhythm. You know, you do something for nine years and, you know, I think I have mm-hmm. 300 videos. You, you do something that much, you're finally going to find a rhythm or a system, you know. But, uh yeah, it, it's definitely a grind uh, sometimes, and and you gotta like what you gotta do, what you're doing. You know, you, you can't be uh, BSing your way through it for too awful long. And that, and that's the whole creative process, not just the the trapping or the hunting or the fishing, right? You you gotta yeah. like it all. 
So, yep. I mean, even, even like putting together a live show, there's a lot of work that a lot of people don't understand. I mean, we've been in contact pretty much for a week now trying to get this put together and, and, and all the other stuff. So, uh, uh, I can only imagine doing this for, for that many years and 300 times kind of sweating it to tell you the truth now that we talk about it, but it's worth it. I get to meet people like Stu and I've had the privilege of talking to people like Babe Winkleman and uh, met a lot of good people. So I wouldn't change it for the world. Uh, so where are you going? Uh, uh, you got any plans to go fishing anywhere or what, do you, what are your plans in the, in the near future? Uh, well, I've, I've been doing a lot of traveling actually lately. Uh, fished, fished quite a little bit. Um, around i fit like i said i fished watch bar there a few weeks ago didn't end up with a video off of that one it rained all weekend um mm-hmm. but you know that's that's the bad part about that sometimes you know you plan a trip and then the weather you know weather doesn't cooperate you know you can't film in the rain or you know put up a decent video uh did the lake of the ozarks deal that, that was fun uh probably gonna stay home here for quite a little bit uh you know near future uh, we got bow fishing season, which is just right around the corner, going to be kicking off. So I'm going to do a lot of, a lot of bow fishing videos. Um, like I said, with the crappie, we're going to keep with the crappie. Um, catfishing is going to fire right off, and I got big plans for the catfishing this year. So uh, still, hopefully, a few trips planned. But uh, yeah, I, I think if any of you guys followed my content on my other channel last year, it's going to be similar. Um, got a few different things up my sleeve trying to kind of mix it up, but yeah, definitely, uh, definitely got a lot of, a lot of stuff in the works. That helps, right? When you got plans, you got to kind of have an agenda. I mean, and, and, you know, especially probably you understand, I get to fish two days a week and that's if the weather's great. Uh, you know, I don't, with my work schedule, I don't get to fish, you know, during the week. And so, you know, if you want to be consistent with it, you got to kind of have a game plan and then a backup plan and then still something, you know, behind that uh and if you don't if you don't produce one of those days of the the two days every week it's kind of a a waste i've been there and done that or it's 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 a it's trying i need to put out more uh fishing content and stuff and it's just kind of hard to get everything done but i I don't want to make excuses all i'm doing saying is i can relate to some of the trials that you've gone through and i've only been doing this for a short time so what you got any uh bucket list fishing trips that you might want to do or things that you haven't done that you're, you're, you're really wanting to do in the near future or in the distant or distant future, either way. Yeah. I, uh, I don't know. I, I'd like to fish saltwater at some point in my life. I've never, I've never fished in the saltwater. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would like to go out, out East and fish for big blue cats, big, big blue. I mean, I live in, or well, I'd live. I, I'm, three hours away from where the world record blue cat was broke. Um, you know, a couple different times actually, but the numbers aren't quite there. Like, uh, I would like to go to the James river is kind of what I'm getting out and fish, yeah. fish something different. Um, uh, I've kind of got into the striper fishing here lately. We don't have striper around here, but I've been doing some, some traveling. I've kind of gave a little bit of time each trip to, to put into that. I, I would like to go down and, and, kind of get into the striper fishing again um i really would like to go up and do some big smallmouth fishing we don't have smallmouth around here mm-hmm. i would like to go up to lake michigan sometime and uh and, and do some smallmouth fishing i didn't get the walleye fish last year because we didn't get to go to canada so of course there's there's something there so yeah i'm not picky if you can tell i i, I want to yeah. catch something with fins regardless so I, I- 
I'm the same way, and I could admire that definitely. You know, if it swims, it's 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 worth chasing. You know, I I went I went and I chased burbot last winter just because I got tired of being cut up, and and that's a pretty good taste. If, if you like cod, it's what it tastes like. Unless you you boil it and seven up, then it tastes kind of like crab to me. But uh, I I can get it. So I even chased both in this year because I've never caught one. So I finally got one of them, but. I, I can definitely relate. So, uh, and saltwater fishing, I haven't done a lot of that either, but I got a, I got a list too. hopefully someday. We actually had plans, but, uh, the pandemic kind of put an end to that. Me and my wife haven't been on vacation in 14 years. We made plans to go on two vacations and the pandemic happened. So we had to cancel them both and they were all fishing vacations too. I was like, ah, oh, it was pretty rough. Uh, so did you fish this week? Yeah, I fished. Uh, I fished this weekend. It it rained all weekend down here, so um, fished in the rain all weekend. Like I said, whenever you only get to fish two days a week, you just learn to invest in some good rain gear and go. So, uh, like I said, it, it I fished crappie this week. I uh, didn't fish catfish. I had to mm-hmm. work for a little bit on Saturday, so yeah, still got out. Uh, still got a good fishing trip in. So very cool, and um. Uh, we're getting close to nine o'clock here real quick. Any words of advice to people out there that want to uh, go YouTube long-term? There's a lot of YouTubers out here and, and uh, maybe some words of wisdom or some advice or some encouragement to keep going. Yeah. Uh, find something you enjoy and stick with it. You know, it's, and I mean, I, we're talking mainly with the fishing. Just understand this guys. I, I mean, I, I, I'm in the same boat right now. This is a pretty new channel. What I've got going here. Fishing is so saturated on YouTube. Do not be upset if you don't hit and get real quick. Uh, find something, if you can, you know, it's a little out of the ordinary, something to set yourself apart. And, uh, you know, if there's anything that I can say, fishing-related content is focus more on your your audio than anything. Uh, I think that's a big thing, uh, you know, as far as content creation. Uh, I'm in a situation where I can't go out and catch a giant fish every time. So uh, educational aspect, uh, you know, put a little bit of that into into your videos. You know, everybody's always wanting to learn. If you can if you can mesh somehow entertainment and education, uh, I you know I think that's that's a pretty good recipe for success. Do do and do what you love and and love what you're doing. I think and attrition is a pretty good uh, way about you know when the herd gets thinned, if you're still standing, it's a good place to be. Right. Yep. Perfect. All right. Well, uh, Stu, thank you for being a guest. I'm going to say uh, good night to everybody. If you could hold on for a minute and we'll talk a little bit afterwards, yep. but I want to thank all the, the catfish and crappie crew. You guys are awesome. Thanks for your support. Thank you everybody for watching. I want to make sure that you guys check out uh, Roger tomorrow night on his channel. We got James on his Wednesday, Thursday night, obviously the bait shop, one of my favorite shows, uh, my next favorite on well, my show, even a little more favorite is Panfish Nation on Lyle Stokes channel, Panfish Nation. I'm a part of that. That's a, uh, really a labor of love for all of us. Uh, check that out. Make sure you subscribe. Um, Friday nights, you got uh, Stan and Creo over on Stan's channel. Uh, Saturday night, Mike Greenwell. Sunday, you got Palmetto and, of course, Avid Fisherman. And then Monday, we go back to Catfish Weekly. Thank you guys for uh, checking out the show. I appreciate all your support. Holler out to the Catfish and Crappie crew. You guys are awesome. We're going to have a, a Catfish and Crappie uh, crew uh, members only stream later this week. So uh, uh, watch the social uh, uh, tab on, on the Catfish and Crappie page and, and uh, 
I'll, maybe I'll make an announcement on Facebook. But thank you guys for watching. Hope you guys have a great week. Get out there and fish. All right. Bye-bye.